Grab your Bibles, Psalm chapter 34. Psalm chapter 34. Last week we started a sermon series uh, in Psalm chapter 1. We're going to jump around, as I mentioned, through the Psalms this entire summer. I'm really excited for this. Psalm chapter 34. If you don't have a Bible on those tables there in the back, there should be a blue softback Bible you can have. It's our gift to you. Keep it, take it home, uh, and read it and let it read you. And at Story Church, we believe the scriptures are from God and about God, and he has spoken to us, and in reverence and in honor of his word, we like to stand in receiving his word. So go ahead and stand with me as we read through Psalm 34. We're just going to be in verses 1 through 8 this morning. Psalm chapter 34, verses 1 through 8 say this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and grab a seat. Today's sermon is titled Singing in the Rain. Uh, you, you guys know that's one of the most famous films and, and musicals of all time where we have Gene Kelly with this iconic photo hanging from the lamppost singing in, in a dark, cloudy night full of rain. The context for that, raise your hand if you've seen that movie. Yeah, okay. Um, spoiler, I fell asleep in it, but I know the, I know the plot line. It's, it's, it's kind of okay, right? It's okay enough. Um, so Lockwood, right? He, he loves this woman. He's not sure if she loves him back and he discovers she does and, and nothing, a torrential downpour, uh, affliction in life, the hard stuff, dark nights, cloudy, rainy days, all of that is pouring down on him, but he doesn't care because he found out the woman he loves loves him back. So he is singing in the rain. Here's a sample of the lyrics. I'm singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. What a glorious feeling. I'm happy again. I'm laughing at clouds so dark up above. The sun's in my heart and I'm ready for love. Let the stormy clouds chase everyone from the place. Come on with the rain. I have a smile on my face. I walk down the lane with a happy refrain, just singing, singing in the rain. Psalm chapter 34 gives us the same sense as the movie Singing in the Rain, that we, as God's people, can sing in the rain, we can praise in the darkness, we can worship amidst affliction. And I want to press in on the fact that we can praise God even in our suffering. And the reason why I want to press in on that is because I believe for many of us, our praise of God is conditional. Here's what I mean by that. Our praise of God is conditional upon our life being full of ease and of comfort. But God has called us to worship him at all times. You heard me read it right there in Psalm 34, verse one. I will bless the Lord at all times is what David says. Our worship of God, our praise of God is never meant to be conditional upon our life being easy and full of comfort. And to understand what's, being, what's going on here in Psalm 34, you have to understand where David, the author of this psalm, finds himself when he writes it. He, he, this episode is between 1 Samuel 18 and 20. What's going on is David 
as he writes, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, is not saying that because his life is being flooded with blessings, but rather he had a determination to praise God even in the suffering. He was king, but he had not yet been publicly coronated as such. Saul was still the figurehead of Israel, and Saul had all kinds of power and all kinds of resources, and as much power and resources as Saul had, he was also full of jealousy and of anger. So in Psalm, or 1 Samuel 19, or 18, when the Israelites cry out, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David has struck down his tens of thousands, Saul grows in bitterness and in jealousy, and in anger, and he is determined to have David murdered. And so David has men sent after him by Saul, but 1 Samuel 19 says those men loved David and were loyal to David, so they backed off. Saul responded to this by attempting to kill David with his own spear. So David escapes and flees, and he runs to a nearby city called Gath. And in that nearby city, Gath, uh, there was a king there named Achish. And he was just as full of rage and Saul kicked out of Gath. And on the run in the mountains, he has said, I am going to praise God. And when does he say he's going to do it? At all times, at all times. Now, uh, think about the last wedding you went to, right? We just went to Scott and Sarah's last Friday night. It was awesome. Can't wait for them to get back here and hear all about their honeymoon. But you sit and you hear them read their vows to each other. And they say things like, in richer and in poorer, in health and in lack of it, when you're looking good and when your body decays a little bit, I'm gonna be with you through it all. You're mine and I'm going nowhere. That's what David is saying when he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. He'll say, whether I'm sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, ruling and reigning over Israel, or I'm hiding in a cave in the middle of nowhere, I am going to bless the Lord because he has been faithful to me. He has made his vows to me. He has saved me. He has made me his, and he will not abandon me. Therefore, at all times, God, I'm gonna bless your name. And then we must note that his praise is verbal. His praise shall be in my mouth. He is speaking the praise of God. He is teaching the praise of God. He is singing the praise of God. In other words, our celebration of God is not individual and private, but it is public and communal. That's why in verse three, David says, let us exalt his name together. David, though he was on the run, was not alone. He had the people of God. And so when his faith was failing, it was the people of God that lifted his eyes and said, see that the Lord is good. Taste that the Lord is good, which is why I love this gathering so much. I mean, how often do we walk into this place kind of tired, kind of weary, maybe coming off a hard week? I don't want to be here. I don't want to hear these things. I don't even know if I believe these things. And then we sing together and the word is preached and we take communion and his praise is on our mouth. He lifts our eyes through us publicly and communally saying, God, you are good. And what's the content of David's celebration? What's the content of his praise? Boasting and gladness is what verse two and three say. 
boasting in the Lord. So let's talk about this for a second. You guys all know my son's name is Owen, O-W-E-N. And so he's four years old, and for the last 18 months or so, uh, we've been Katie has been teaching him the alphabet, and in particular, when you learn the alphabet, the first thing you write is what? Your name. Well, you guys know English is hard, and a lot of letters look the same. Two letters that probably look most alike are W and M. So Owen's writing out his name, and it's not O-W-E-N, it's O-M-E-N, which is a bit prophetic for his energy levels. And the first time he comes to us and he says, look, dad, I wrote my name and it's O-W-E-N. You're like, yes, you did it. I'm so proud of you. You got it, buddy. Keep on going. That's what it means to boast in the Lord and to be glad in the Lord. Yes, God, you are so good. Yes, God, you are so faithful. So what do we do? How do we increase gladness in our heart? How do we increase celebration in our life so that at all times we might celebrate God? Verse three, oh, magnify the Lord with me, right? The image that comes to mind there is a magnifying glass, right? And so someone like Rick might need one of those to read his Bible. He gets this magnifying glass and he says, oh man, those words are small and he he can see it. And what, what do we do? When we magnify the Lord, we get our magnifying glass and we look at God and he becomes big to us. And it's not because he became big. He's always big. It's just that in our minds, we tend to make him smaller than our circumstances. And so when we magnify the Lord, we look at two things in particular. Number one, we look at what he has done in our lives. Namely, he has sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for the sake of our sins. And through Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins. And it's not just that. We get the right relationship with the Father we're always yearning for. We get to be in his presence now and forevermore. Those are the big things that he's done. We magnify those things. But in the day-to-day, he is faithful to us. He hears us. He's kind to us. He's faithful to us. He does not abandon us. And when our circumstances seem big during the day, we grab our magnifying glass and say, that might be big, but my God is bigger. And we magnify him. But it's not just about what he's done. It's about who he is. We look at our God for who he is, which is glorious and good and kind and gentle and forgiving and loving. We magnify his character traits so we remember those things and our hearts grow in gladness. Perhaps you're not there right now. I just can't celebrate God. May may I suggest that today you go home and you magnify Psalm 145, 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Magnify that and discipline your heart to grow in gladness and in boasting. But here's the key to this. David's worship here is not contingent upon his life being easy. When he wrote these verses, remember, he finds himself in a cave with multiple armies bearing down on him to take his head off. But the truth is, 
His deliverance and his worship and his celebration of God was not dependent upon him being where he thought he needed to be. His worship of God was dependent upon God being with him. It's not about our station in life and where we find ourselves today. It's about the fact that God is with us and he's going nowhere and he is faithful to his promises. So number one, we can sing in the rain by celebrating God. Number two, we sing in the rain by praying to God. Praise and prayer are intertwined. As a matter of fact, I want you to, over the next few weeks as we sing worship songs, I want you to see how many of those worship songs are written really as prayers, requests of God. God, will you? God, may you? God, can you? Would you please, God, do these things? You, you might even say that sometimes praising God in worship is just us harmonizing our prayers together. And some of us harmonize better than others. I'm the worst. Look at verses four through seven and look at David flowing straight from celebrating God, praising God to praying to God. Verses four through seven. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fears him, fear him and delivers them. Right there, I sought the Lord. He says in verse five, those who look to him. Verse six, this poor man cried out. These are words of prayer. And that word sought is not this idea of a divine game of hide and seek, that God is hiding himself from me and I need to go seek him out. No, when he is talking about seeking the Lord, what he's talking about is going to an expert. All right, let me give an example in our own life. We recently entered into a bear market. We're all aware of this, right? And Katie and I dump a lot of money into our retirement account. And because I am who I am, uh, I take the most aggressive path as possible in the stock market. And I called uh, a few different experts in that field and I said, hey, should I pull my money out? Because I could probably put it better to use right now, here and now. And they said, no, dude, you got 35 years at a minimum before you retire. It's cyclical. It's going to rebound. As a matter of fact, don't pull out, buy more, which that's like for me, I'm like, yeah, let's buy more. Let's get more aggressive. Can we turn the dial up even more? And, and so that's what we did. And, and look what happens when we seek out experts in our lives, when Katie and I are in over our heads and we don't know what to do more often than not, we're not ashamed by the way, that wasn't financial advice. Do what you, your advisor says to do. I'm not that. I'm not ashamed. We're not ashamed when we go to experts, right? When our marriage is struggling and we go to people and say, help us. We're not, we're not ashamed. When we feel like we're in over our heads with parenting, we go to those older than us and say, help us. We're not ashamed. When we're stuck in habitual sin and we can't get out of it, we go to experts not ashamed. And that's what David is saying he does here. He is praying to God in the midst of his affliction and his dark night of the soul. And because of that, he is not ashamed. He sought the Lord and the Lord was near to him. The angel of the Lord encamps around him and delivers them. Now, when we run to God in prayer, 
I, I just, I desperately want us, church, to have a picture in our minds of a father in heaven when we go to him and we say, I need help, I'm seeking you. He's not looking at us saying, again? Gosh, can't you figure it out? You're such a loser. I thought I gave you better than that. Hasn't all my instruction to this point helped you? That's not who our God is. When we pray to him and we seek him, he looks at us and says, yes, thank you. He doesn't demean us. He doesn't belittle us. He gets excited like a father with a huge smile on his face says, yes, come to me. Yes, be with me. And remember, the deliverance here isn't about David finally not being on the run or not, try, not, not being murdered or any of those kind of things. And, and what if, friends, deliverance isn't a removal of our trouble, but it's actually just a presence of something greater? What if that's our true deliverance? What if David said, man, my deliverance isn't about me not getting murdered, but it's, out, it's about the presence of God with me? Because that's what it was about for him. I sought the Lord and what happened? The angel of the Lord encamped around him. That didn't mean his circumstances changed. That didn't mean that people weren't still chasing him down. That didn't mean Saul still hate, didn't, stopped hating him. All it meant is that David was aware of who God was and that God was with him. And that he was ultimately held fast in the promises of God so that even if Saul would have taken his head off, David would have been with the Lord forever. Which is why Paul can say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Even the worst thing, death itself cannot rob us from God. So, so circumstantial change is not the thing we're seeking after, it's rather just an awareness of the presence of God. So where are you at right now? What are you fearful of? Where do you feel that you need deliverance? Perhaps you or, or someone you love got that devastating cancer diagnosis and you go to the chemo and you go to the radiation, but every time you check back in, they say, it's spread again. Perhaps you raised a child in the way of the Lord, but since they turned 18, they've walked away from him and you're wondering when they're gonna come back. Perhaps you're terrified of your financial future. Perhaps there's a broken relationship in your life that you desperately want restored, but you don't know how to do it. Perhaps you're confused about what you believe about God. Maybe you have your own addiction that you just cannot free yourself from. Maybe you just got the phone call last week that that, 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 that D word, death, did knock on the door. Your head is spinning, you're underwater, and you don't know what to do. Just like David, seek the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. It doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to be put together. It just needs to be honest. You can say to him, hey God, I want you to take this from me, but even if you don't, I know you're still with me. This reminds me of Anne Steele's famous hymn, The Soul's Only Refuge. Dear refuge of my weary soul, on thee when sorrows rise, on thee when waves of trouble roll, my fainting hope relies. Maybe that's where you are this morning. 
Sorrows are on the rise. Troubles roll over you like waves in the Pacific. Your hope is fainting, but your hope isn't gone. Jesus Christ is your living hope. He is alive and well, and one day all of his promises are gonna come true. And so we look to him, even with our weary souls, even with our troubled souls, and we say, Jesus, I'm seeking you. Make me aware of your presence and your goodness. Take this from me, but even if you don't, I know you're with me. So we sing in the rain by celebrating God. We sing in the rain by praying to God. And finally, point three, we sing in the rain by enjoying God. Look at verse eight with me. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. A few things I enjoy. I enjoy iced coffee, right? The first time I ever had that was in Cambodia. It was like a, a, a Vietnamese iced coffee. They put carnation milk in it. Insane, guys. Try that. It's so good. Uh, I enjoy Nashville hot chicken too much. It doesn't enjoy me, uh, but if you like that and you want to eat that with me, let me know. I'll do it. Um, I enjoy bike rides with our family, or mainly our kids ride their bikes and we walk behind them. Uh, I enjoy hopping on airplanes and going to new places and exploring new things. Just a few things that I enjoy. Now, how can David, on the run, facing the troubles I've laid out for you, say, the Lord is good? I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good from a cave with a coyote bearing down on him. How can David say that? Because again, his worship of God was not contingent upon his circumstances, but contingent upon the character of God. And he is testifying to God's own goodness and delight in his soul. He has experienced God's goodness. Those words, taste and see, are experiential words. These aren't words merely of intellectual assent. This is not an intellectual exercise that David is going through. On the run, he is saying, taste and see, right? So imagine you're sitting in Fleming's uh, steakhouse and you're like, remember the last steak you ate? How did it taste, that last ribeye? Right? And you're trying to remember all of those things, but you're not allowed to eat anything at Fleming's. Right? It's an intellectual exercise. You're, you're not gonna taste it. Now, now flip that on its head and, and they just bring out to you a nice rare ribeye with a little bit of pepper sauce on it and you throw that in your mouth and you're like, that's good. You've experienced it. You've tasted it. You, you look at a painting of the Grand Canyon. You see it and you know it's vast and you know it's glorious and you know it's beautiful and it's all the more different to go drive to the Grand Canyon and stand at the edge of it and say, I see it now. My soul is overwhelmed with how big this thing is. This is what David is talking about. He is saying, I haven't just been told that God is good. I haven't just heard that God is good. I haven't heard, just seen the word preached and, and I know that God is good. It's the fact that I have tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord. And, and sometimes, friends, it takes the greatest affliction in life for us to experience most clearly the goodness of God. So maybe what you're walking through right now, maybe those things I just recounted a few minutes ago, whatever applies to you, or maybe it's something outside of that, but you know what that thing is. What if that thing is not some kind of spiritual warfare? What if that is an instrument in the hands of our Redeemer saying, I want you to see when your hope is on the things of this world or your circumstances changing, you're just gonna be let down. 
What if it's an instrument in the hands of our Redeemer saying to us, I want you to see just how good I am. You're gonna have all this affliction and pain just so you can see how faithful and good I am. When David is saying, taste and see that the Lord is good, he is talking about experiencing God, enjoying God. What does that look like? Listen to Sally Lloyd-Jones. God tells us to glorify him. Glorify means to make a big deal of. When someone makes a big deal of you, it fills up your heart with joy. But why does God need us to make a big deal of him? Why does he need us to get joy? He doesn't. In the beginning, God the Father and Jesus his son, together with the Holy Spirit, were already there, a loving family, glorifying each other in this wonderful dance of joy. No, God didn't create us so he could get joy. He already had it. He created us so that he could share it. He knows it's the thing your heart most needs to be happy. When God says, glorify me, he is really just saying, be filled with joy. He is inviting us into his forever happiness. To enjoy God is to press in to God. Two things in particular. You get joy by enjoying the person, enjoying who God is. 1 John 4, 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. We know the love of the person by the action of the person. We know the power of the person by the action of his creating the universe. We know the wisdom of the person by his purposeful providence in our history. We know the justice and righteousness of the person by the punishment of, sin, of, the, of our sin and death on Jesus. We know the faithfulness of the person by him keeping his promises. We know the compassion and patience of the person because we know Jesus Christ who said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So if we want to enjoy God, we must look to Jesus and enjoy Jesus, the one who has made these promises to us, the one who has been faithful to his word, the one who lived for us, the one who died for us, and the one who says, come to me. We enjoy the person, but not just that. We enjoy his gifts. We enjoy all of the good gifts that Jesus has given us. He has given us his promises that one day that affliction you're facing now is gonna be wiped away. That one, that one day, ultimate deliverance is going to come. Disease will be eradicated. Death will be no more. Tears will dry up. And our life will expand into forever worship of Jesus Christ. He has not failed his promises, and he won't start now. We enjoy his gift of his faithfulness. We just sang it, he will hold me fast. That when I'm faithless, when my eyes wander from Jesus, when I turn my back in rebellion against him, he continues to chase me down and hold fast to me. My eternity is not dependent upon my ability to stay faithful to Jesus. My eternity is dependent upon his ability to stay faithful to me. And he always will. And he always will for you. His presence is his gift. His people are his gift. This gathering is a gift. His ear that hears us is a gift. We get to taste and see the goodness of Jesus Christ each and every time we gather, each and every time we open the word, each and every time we pray to God, each and every time we take communion. All of these things are meant to say, hey, lift your eyes off of your circumstances, see Jesus and taste and see his goodness. 
discipline yourself to enjoy God. So friends, we can sing in the rain by celebrating God, by praying to God, by enjoying God, and let us all, friends, the end of verse eight right there, take refuge in him. David was in a cave, but his real covering was Jesus Christ. This is the exact place we need to be where our hearts can truly celebrate and pray and enjoy God. Jesus is our refuge. Jesus makes us radiant. Jesus takes our shame so we don't have to be ashamed. Jesus delivers us fully from our troubles. And when we forget these things, the angel of the Lord has encamped around us. He has held fast to us. And he says, hey, look to me. I haven't gone anywhere. So maybe you're not a believer. Maybe all of these things, you hear this and you're like, that's hogwash. Hear me. This is true. This is the one true story that Jesus has lived for us, died for us, and raised to new life for us. And when we look to him, we will have endless life. And just because you come to faith in Jesus doesn't mean your circumstances change and becomes, you know, bubblegum and sunflowers. Every Christian in this room knows that's not true. But what it does mean is that you have a presence of something greater. Better said, you have presence of someone greater. That when circumstances bear down on you, you do not have to face those things as a person without hope. You can be crushed and afflicted and brokenhearted, but you're not alone. And Jesus has not abandoned you and he has not failed you. If you're not a believer, I just beg you, look to him, make him your refuge and he will be near to you. If you are a believer, my, my prayer today is that this would just inject a little bit of hope in you. Just a little bit of hope to get through the next week. Just a little bit of encouragement to look to Jesus. Just a little bit of prodding to say, hey, Take your eyes off those things and taste and see that he is good. He has not abandoned you. He is faithful to you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He is always with you. His promises are true. He is faithful. He's not gonna stop now. So what I want to do is I just wanna give a minute or two for you just to silently think, what am I facing right now, right? What was David facing? What am I facing? And how can I, like David, celebrate God, pray to him, and enjoy him. Just spend some time silently doing that and then we're gonna partake in the Lord's Supper together.
God, we need you. God, I need you. When we're weary, prove yourself to be strong. When we're faithless, prove yourself to be faithful. When we're without hope, please give us hope. When we're in affliction, give us the ability to praise. Help us, God, to fix our eyes firmly on who you are and what you've done. Would you make yourself so much larger than the circumstances in our lives? Would we see and savor just how beautiful and glorious you are? Would we taste and see your goodness? Would we bless your name at all times? Would you encamp around us? Would you be our refuge? Would you make our faces radiant? Would you, God, help us to be a people who constantly and consistently come to you? And when we don't, would you be near to us? Would you draw us back to yourself? God, we desperately need you. We feel it. We know it. Help us to bring it before you. And God, would you respond by being near to us by the power of your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen.